the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you so much for tuning in. Full disclosure, uh, as an 80s baby, one of my favorite film franchises ever growing up was Indiana Jones. Who am I? I'm Ben. Which one? Last Crusade? Temple of Doom? Gotta go Last Crusade for me. Temple of the Dog? Crystal Uh, Skull? uh, You know, I have a copy of Crystal Skull. Maybe the magic was just gone because I had aged out. You think so? (laughs) Or maybe maybe it was just the inexplicable ninjas that pop up in the cemetery and never come back. Do people age out of Indiana Jones? That's so sad. Oh. I didn't age out of Last Crusade. I still love that one. Yeah, it's true. I read something really interesting. Uh, the two guys who are responsible for, oh gosh, now I can't remember what it was. Oh no, it was uh, that movie A Quiet Place. Remember A Quiet Place mm-hmm. with uh, the guy from The Office? They apparently, after A Quiet Place did so well, got pulled into a meeting with Lucasfilm. And of course the subject was, we need more Indiana Jones. Jones and Star Wars movies, guys. You guys made a big picture. Can you write a bunch of these movies for us? And they were like, you know, maybe you guys should do something new. (laughs) I think that's maybe why Crystal Skull didn't work. But you're right, Ben. Those original Indiana Jones movies, they got something, don't they? They have that swashbuckling sense of adventure, the idea of throwing yourself into the unknown, you know, come what may. And Indiana Jones really represented that, right? But he, uh, he wasn't wholly a fictional character. And neither are you. Who are you again? I'm Noel still. <laughs> and there's our super producer, Casey Pegram. Also uh, rated extremely non-fictional by 9 out of 10 reviews. Well, I was going to say, in terms of rating, uh, the second installment of the Indiana Jones trilogy, responsible for the creation of the PG-13 rating. I was about to say. Because, uh, you know, it was a little too hot for PG and not quite graphic enough for an R, and Spielberg had enough clout in those days and probably mm-hmm. still to this day 
that the MPAA was like, you know, we'll we'll work something out. It was Temple of Doom, right? Yeah, Temple yeah. of Doom. Yeah. It's intensely problematic, by the way. Oh, yeah. No one uses quote-unquote voodoo dolls in those rituals. The thuggy cult is a real thing worthy of an episode of its own. But, yeah, it's weird. They were worried about the 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 violence, I believe, right? Yeah, just, you know, because he pulls the guy's heart out. Um, and, um, yeah. Kalima. It's, uh, it's a weird one. It's it's kind of a, uh, I don't know, it sticks out in the trilogy. The first and the third are much more kind of in the same spirit. And that one's just like a weird, bizarre, like alternate universe, Indiana Jones. I will say this, though. The opening of Temple of Doom oh, yeah. is awesome. The musical. The musical right. yeah, yeah, sequence yeah, yeah, yeah. where like there's like, Starts being thrown and like it's just it's very very good uh, theater like you know cinematic theater for sure. And today's episode. Wait a minute. We don't have. We have what, what, what about Casey on the case? Dun dun. Today's story does have something to do with Indiana Jones. You know how often you'll see something like a made-for-TV film where it says, inspired by true events, heavy emphasis on inspired. This is kind of like it. There is, there is a, a real life or one of several real-life inspirations for the character we know as Indiana. That's not his real name, of course. They named the dog Indiana. Is that a was that a was that a a a, 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 a Sean Connery? No, no, my Sean Connery's different. Who, what was that? Who was that? That's the that's his buddy in uh, at the very end of Last Crusade, where he learns they named the. He's the guy who was in Sliders. He played the dwarf in Lord of the Rings. Uh, Peter Dinklage. Is, no, oh no, that's this <laughs> is going to bug me. Sorry. Uh, For all the fantasy fans out there, I literally just confused. Game of Thrones for Lord of the Rings. So you guys can run me up the flagpole for this one. It's John Reese davies I can picture him now, yeah. Also famously played the, the lead of the dwarves in Lord of the Rings. So that aside, that aside, who is this real person we're talking about? His name is Otto Wilhelm Rahn, R-A-H-N. And just to set the stage, maybe we should emphasize the title if, some, if you haven't. If, if you haven't checked out the title before listening to the podcast, because it's one hell of a headline, Otto Ron, the gay Nazi occultist who hated Nazis and inspired Indiana Jones. Yeah, that sums it up. <laughs> it's a great headline. Uh, Otto Ron um, was a German. That's accurate. He was an occultist, which is also accurate and also from the headline. And he was absolutely myopically obsessed with uncovering that relic of relics, that holiest of holies, the Holy Grail, which was also the subject of the Indiana Jones movie, um, The Last Crusade. Which I'm going to say still is my is my favorite of the four, but to each their own, right? Ron was obsessed with European folklore and myths and legends ever since he was a wee tyke. He was born in 1904. He was particularly taken with German stories from the medieval period, stories about the Grail, like Parzival or uh, the Song of the Nibelungs. And he also became fascinated with uh, a sect or a branch of Christianity, uh, the Cathars, Catharism. This had been uh, eliminated, ab uh, abolished, wiped out by the Catholic Church in the 13th century. But you see, Ran is something of what we might call a conspiracy theorist in his day because he believes that somewhere in southern France, the Cathars were the last 
caretakers of the actual facts, holy grail, the real thing, and that they, despite being, you know, uh, persecuted by the Catholic Church, managed to keep this secret, and that meant that the real holy grail was hidden somewhere in France. And he started thinking, you know, if I if I read these poems, I will know the clues. It's very Dan Brown, right? Because he's he's reading into things that he is convinced are purposely left clues but may just be his interpretation. It's true. And to backtrack ever so slightly, just uh, to flex my opera roots a little bit, there is an opera cycle by uh, Wagner called The Ring Cycle, which is based on The Ring of the Nibelungen, um, which is a story that our main character today was very much obsessed with, which is about uh, mystical creatures, mythical creatures, and a ring forged in a broken sword, and very much was a, a huge inspiration for The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. And he didn't, he didn't just think this was generally France. He believed that the Montsegur Castle in southern France was probably the last known location of the Grail because in the real world, it was a Cathar stronghold and they made their last stand against the Catholics there. Well, less a last stand, more a mass murder, uh, because they were murdered there in 1244. But the belief was, shortly before the massacre, three Catholic knights ditched the, the fight. They, they skipped town, and they took the cup, the Holy Grail, with them. And so, Ron decided that he would be the person to find it. Mm -hmm. Decided to go uh, and arrived in uh, Montsegur in 1931 in the summer. And he, you know, try as he might, he didn't actually find the grail. But he did have some pretty uh, fun adventures in the cathedral caves of Lundok, which uh, caused him to actually write a book about it called Crusade Against the Grail, which has already got a pretty pretty awesome cinematic kind of title. Mm. And that was in 1933 that that came out, which was also, as it turns out, the year that the Nazi party swept the land and reigned supreme. Um, and here's the thing. His book was pretty well received by the likes of uh, Henrik Himmler, who, as we know, headed up the uh, the secret military police, the SS of, of Adolf Hitler. And he uh, became a patron you know, of of Ron and offered to help him finance another work. Yeah, he said, look, I run the SS and I have access to the policies, but also the purse strings. So if you become my boy, you're loyal to me, Otto, then I will executive produce your search for the grail, more or less. And we have to look at the context of a lot of Nazi officials at this time, there was this obsession with creating a new past, a new collective story or narrative for the people of Germany. And most of it, well, by most of it, I mean all of it was ultimately aiming to justify their beliefs, uh, their, their racist beliefs about German superiority. So they like the idea that Ron's theories seem to support their pre-existing goal. This idea that uh, Nordic populations had a great and ancient past, and they said, you know, uh, these traditions 
and the truth of the past was suppressed by Roman Catholic forces. And so they wanted to revive Germanic pagan beliefs. But like a lot of movements, especially movements with an ulterior motive, it shifted. A guy named Guido von Liszt tilted this uh, pursuit and made it something that focused more on anti-Semitism, racist ideas, and Himmler was a big von Liszt fan. So he didn't think Ron was just making up wild cockamamie uh, three drinks deep at the bar stories. He said, you know, Otto, I'm something of a grail researcher myself. I'm also looking for it. I've actually sponsored some expeditions into Pyrenees. So you and I, we're on the same page. And that's why one day in 1933, Ron gets a telegram that offers him 1,000 Reichsmarks per month if he just keeps looking for the grail. And all he has to do is show up to an address in Berlin. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This was a big deal for Ron. A thousand Reichsmarks was no small sum because he had always had a hard time staying fully employed. And he also was openly gay, which was a very dangerous way to be, especially given the tide changing under the Nazis. So it was a surprise to him to learn that the sender of the telegram was Himmler himself and the fact that Himmler was so taken by Ron's passion for finding the grail and for his writing uh, that he was willing to overlook the fact that he was openly gay. This was a big deal. So Ron was eventually kind of forced into joining the Nazi party and becoming a 
member of the SS in 1935. He became a non-commissioned officer uh, in 1936. And basically, his main job was to continue writing and to continue searching for the Holy Grail. Yeah. That's pretty much it. That was the deal, right? He had a he had a tough time, and he was, he was embarrassed because people in his friends group, his non-work friends, his real friends, would see him. And he would be— you know, he would be a little humiliated and dejected. And there's a quotation where he says, someone asks him about it. They're like, dear God, what are you doing? You work for those dudes now? And he says, a man has to eat. What was I supposed to do? Turn Himmler down? Which is a pretty interesting question because, again, Himmler did have the power to snap his fingers and have people disappeared. But Ron's a smart guy, right? He already knows this situation is unsustainable over the long term. And he knows, look, searching for something is all well and good, but that's not the same thing as finding something as anybody familiar with the um, unending Oak Island Money Pit TV series can, can attest. So he went through all throughout Germany. He went to France. He went to Italy. I think he, he even went to Iceland at some point and came up with Bupkis. But he said, I have to look like I'm producing something. If right. I can't produce the actual holy grail, the the cup that giveth everlasting life. Which, by the way, is, is, was was either Jesus' cup at the Last Supper or, or his, also the blood-collecting cup at the crucifixion, right? Right. Or his uh, illegitimate children. The bloodline wow. of Christ would be considered the grail, too. But Got that's, it. you know, that's— Open to interpretation is a generous way to phrase that. So back to this thing. He says, I got to get results. He says, if I cannot produce the actual grail, I sure as heck can write another book. And so he writes this terrible, terrible book called Lucifer's Court, A Heretic Journey in Search of the Lightbringers. It's published in 37. It just, it's all over the place. It's rambling. It doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a quote that particularly stood out to me uh, cited by John Preston writing for The Telegraph. Uh, Just tell me if you want to read uh, a book's worth of this. Look, I will tell you a secret. The time has come for the groom to crown his bride. Guess where the crown lies? Toward midnight, because the light is clear in the darkness. What is this about, though? Like, what? what what's, what's this? What's the point of this book? It's it, some people will say. Historians differ here. Some people will say it was a cash grab. Some people will say it was a time grab. Some people say it was his attempt to uh, repackage his beliefs about the the Holy Grail conspiracy. Other people think it was maybe a uh, a disguised critique of Nazism. But and the crusade against the grail was a historical work, right? That that was, a, was that, was there fiction involved in that as well? Yeah, let's call it speculative. Ah, I see. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Sort of like Holy Blood, Holy Grail and some of right. the more, the Dan Browns of the world, things like that. Right. Gotcha. And, and we have to wonder whether Otto Ron himself knew this was not his best work. Well, I'll tell you who did think it was his best work was Himmler. He, he adored it. And he uh, ordered 5,000 copies to be poshly bound in leather and given out to all of the uh, the top dogs in Germany. Uh, Hitler got himself one. Um, and I guess Ron felt like he kind of dodged a bullet, right? But he noticed. Oh, boy, did he. The book that was published was not the book he had written. No. And that goes back again to why, uh, you know, Himmler liked his first book because it was all 
kind of built around some of these mythologies that Nazis have been able to use as almost symbols for the rise of Ar- the Aryan race and the, the Ubermen and all that stuff. And this was no different, only that stuff wasn't really in there. So they actually inserted it in there. Mm-hmm. Anti-Semitic uh, little messages, kind of little passages, right? Yep, exactly. And while Ron had dodged one bullet, he could not dodge the bullet looming on the horizon, rushing toward him, and that was the fact that he still had not, for some reason, found the Holy Grail. And shortly after this book, the second book is published, Lucifer's Court, he gets intoxicated and he is caught having, having sex, having intimate relations with another man, and because he, again, is Himmler's boy, the punishment that he would have had is different from the punishment he gets. Instead of being incarcerated himself, sent to prison or sent to a camp, he is ordered to do guard duty for three months at Dachau. The worst place in the world. I mean, a hell on earth. And you got to imagine, too, I mean, he's— an SS in name only up to this point, I would think. He's a non-commissioned officer. He's wearing this uniform, but he's really just kind of dicking around Europe looking for the grail and writing bad books. Yeah, this is this, this is the strange thing because it's an understandable tendency for a lot of people. Until he gets to Dachau, he's able to – we have such a tremendous talent for rationalization – Something is happening, sure, and it's terrible, yes, but it's happening to someone else, A, and it's happening somewhere I can't see it, B, and now he has to aid and abet directly the the atrocities occurring at these camps, and what he saw there changed him. He said it was too much. He said it was impossible for a tolerant liberal man like me to live in a nation that my native country has become, and so he writes to the SS and attempts to resign. That's laughable. But let's also not forget that a lot of Germans were in this boat, right? Yeah. Who, who were maybe not willfully putting on blinders to what was going on, but at least they didn't know the extent. I mean, they didn't broadcast on national television what was going on inside these camps. You kind of had to be there. You had to know what was going on. And if you didn't, you could maybe trick yourself into thinking everything wasn't quite as bad as it was made. What do you think, Ben? What do you think it would have been like to be a German citizen living in that time? There's a line. I mean, there clearly, clearly the information asymmetry is different there because, you know, people could learn about things, but they couldn't Google things for themselves. You right. Know? And a lot of maps were edited and so on. But after a certain threshold – it becomes apparent that the official narrative and the actual uh, events on the ground are different. So I think there were a lot of people, it's just speculation here, I think there were a lot of people who were lying to themselves willfully, but this, and Ron, Ron was definitely doing that because he was he was gay and he knew that gay people would be hunted down. Right. So he he was in a situation where he already knew it was unsustainable, already knew it was uh, going to come crashing down. And when he wrote that letter in February of 1939, he said, I must ask you to accept my immediate discharge from the SS. The reasons are of so grave a nature that I cannot explain them in writing. And then members of the Nazi party 
instead of accepting his resignation or something like that, they went hunting for him. Yeah, you, you there's it's like the mob, man. You can't quit the mob. You don't quit the SS. You don't quit MS-13. You don't. You're in, you're in for life. And it's, I mean, they, he was forced in in the first place. Did he really think, this guy seemed a little bit, uh, um, what's the word, a little bit naive about all of this. But again, he was in a rock and a hard place because Himmler found him. He didn't find Himmler. Right. And it's like, can you, it, that's, what's the nature of consent there? Could he have said no? You know what I mean? Mm, because I every every thought from Himmler to someone lower than him in the hierarchy is a mandate in practice. Well, everything that we've been reading about this makes it seem like he was a very open, uh, openly gay. Mm. So that was dirt on him from the start, right? Like if, if he had turned down Himmler... Himmler could have said, well, okay, then we're putting you in prison for being gay. Right, exactly. Just so. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire, part time, or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So Ron says, I've got to hightail it. He gets word that Nazi officials are looking for him. And then he disappears until March 13th, 1939, when his body is discovered in the middle of nowhere on the side of a mountain in Austria. His body was frozen. People thought, well, people will argue that he swallowed poison, but there was no official cause of death. He was 34 years old. That's really sad. Very young. Um, yeah, that's crazy to me. I mean, to me, the idea that he maybe was trying to escape mm-hmm. and then froze to death makes more sense than, I mean, if he if he was going to kill himself and he had poison, why wouldn't he just do that somewhere warmer? Instead, right. I, Yeah, it seems to me like he got lost and was trying to make a run for it and then just you know, froze to death in, in the mountains of Austria. Yeah, and those are the questions that remain. And as tends to happen, as we, we we know very well, Ben, when there are kind of questionable circumstances around someone's demise, we had a, a handful of conspiracy theories popping up, much like we do with our with uh, Jeffrey Epstein today, uh, where the question is, was that really him? 
Was that really his body? It was also way easier to fake one's death at this time. Absolutely. So yes, like any notable figure, there will be tons of speculation whenever someone meets an untimely end. Uh, People said, as you point out, Noel, that he had faked his death and was continuing uh, in, in the underground, right, to search for the grail and maybe eventually found it. But the thing is, there are people who still look for the grail today in 2019 as we record this. And this search or this question has continued throughout history. Although you may not have heard of Otto Rahn before this episode, you have doubtlessly heard of the works of fiction that are partially inspired by him. Indiana Jones, of course. It's yours, Indy. Yours and mine. Uh, oh, you're named after the dog. <laughs> no, that's not, sorry. Wrong, wrong character. No, but that's true, right? Wasn't Indiana yeah. the name of uh, George Lucas's uh, Pyrenees or what was some kind of big dog? Right, right. The, um that's the yeah the line I pulled earlier where it's like uh, he finds out that uh, the Indiana Jones real name is Junior. Yeah, that's right, that's right. But uh, no, it's true. It was the same dog that I believe uh, the look of Chewbacca was was based on, and this would have been a Alaskan Malum- Malamute Malamut Malamute Yeah. So the the thing is, while people will say yeah. His actions did partially inspire Indiana Jones. For those of us who remember The Last Crusade, again, uh, in my opinion, the the best of the bunch, Otto Rahn was much more like that character I just quoted, Dr. Elsa Schneider. Uh, remember her? She was kind of the love interest. Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, yeah, so she, she like Ron, was a, a scientist, a seeker, who was blinded by ambition and glory and kind of thought that the ends justified the means. The thing is, that's not always true. Mm -mm. It's never, it was very rarely so cut and dry like that either, right? And like, I don't know that anything that we know about Ron paints him as either a purely good or a purely evil character. He obviously, I mean, you know, whether or not you think that he was completely strong-armed into it, he did join the Nazi party. He did witness these atrocities, but then he also, and who knows what he actually did in this capacity as a guard there, but it sure seems like he tried to make amends in one way or another, you know, but uh, he he seems like he was swept up into something that was much bigger than he could fully grasp. So to me, he's almost a casualty in this than he is an active villain or hero. You know what I mean? It's interesting. I completely agree because here's, here's another part to to add to that. And this this came uh, in the course of our research. So thanks to Gabe Luzier for finding this part. There was a tweet here that I'd like to read. We found it via tweet. It says, historians have a word for Germans who joined the Nazi party not because they hated Jewish people, but out of a hope for restored patriotism or a sense of economic anxiety or a hope to preserve their religious values or dislike of their opponents, or raw political opportunism, or convenience, or ignorance, or greed. That word is Nazi. Nobody cares about their motives anymore. Which is true. Now, Otto Rahn seems to us to be um, a person who is torn apart by the violent times in which they live, right? And and I like the way you put it, Noel, uh, the, the idea that it's tough to ascribe uh, 100% greatness or 100% villainy to a lot of people. 
In any case, Ron's story lives on. He would probably, were he alive today, be very interested to know that the search for the grail continues, at this point, as far as we can tell, unsuccessfully. But hey, if you're listening today and you have found the Holy Grail, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, If you are Facebook inclined, drop by our favorite little page on that platform, Ridiculous Historians, where you can meet our favorite part of the show, your fellow listeners. Yeah, and if you want to follow me and Ben and our personal exploits, you can do so for me on Instagram at Brown. You can find me on various adventures and misadventures on Instagram at Ben Bolin and, uh, you know, trying out weird one-liners and puns on Twitter at Ben Bolin HSW. Thanks, as always, to super producer uh, Casey Pegram. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our track. And thanks to research associates Gabe Luzier, Ryan Barish, who should be uh, making another appearance on the show uh, before the summer is out. And um, as always, thanks to you, Ben, for, for being, a, being a pal and a confidant and a, and a ridiculous historian to boot. Thanks so much, Noel. A shout out right back at you. And uh, also, shout out to George Lucas. I think I'm going to go watch Last Crusade. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com.